thank you to the entire congregation of the Rock Church and your army of volunteers. All of your community service, both in the city and in the county, makes a difference every single day. I'd like to thank Pastor Miles, the leadership of the Rock Church, and the membership for being prepared for emergencies in our community. It's not a matter of if one will occur, simply a matter of when. Did you know that during the 2007 wildfires in San Diego County, 515,000 people were asked to evacuate their homes? Many of them had less than 15 minutes to go. Do you have everything ready to leave your house in that short amount of time? And if you do, how about checking in on friends, family, and neighbors to make sure that they're ready for our next emergency? To help you, your families, and your friends better prepare to survive a disaster, please take advantage of the many great resources available to you. Public safety is a shared responsibility. Thank you for taking disaster preparedness seriously. All of us must do our part. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. How y'all doing? Hey, I want to welcome, let's celebrate together with Rock Church East County with Pastor Ricky there. We want to thank you for uh, just being part of a larger work. Also, North County, Jason, our campus pastor there, Travis and San Ysidro. We're four locations and eventually a fifth location in City Heights, you know, and Throughout the county, I just want to thank you. This is just an awesome privilege. Again, my name is Mickey Stonier, Mickey Stonier, uh, Stoney. Call me whatever you want. This, again, don't call me Pastor Stoner. Uh, doesn't go well, but uh, just an honor to be here with you as we kick off our disaster preparedness. Are you ready? And, uh, you know, this is way cool. I don't know about you, but every little boy grows up wanting to be a, a firefighter. Do you know what police and fire have in common? Police officers and firefighters? They both want to be firefighters. Uh, so, no, 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 I know. That's not necessarily it. When I first, I, I served with the fire department, San Diego Fire Rescue, Coronado Fire Department as a chaplain, also a couple of the law enforcement agencies. When I first got my fire uniform with my badge and everything, I took it home, I put it on, you know, I get to be a chaplain and stuff, and I'm standing in front of a mirror in our bedroom, you know, I was looking at myself, it was all tucked in, my badge, I get to do this, you know, and my wife walked in the room. She looked at me, saw myself looking myself in the mirror, she said, would you grow up, you know, that's kind of that thing. So today I want to encourage you. We're going to be looking at preparedness practically, spiritually. In fact, in the upcoming weeks, the campus pastors at each of our campuses are going to be doing uh, more messages on this theme. And so I, I want to encourage you to bring some friends as we look at are you prepared. And so I want to start because 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name, God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven, I will heal their land. 
uh, he would forgive and bring healing to our land. You know, as our government, the Supreme Courts, and different aspects of our land are drifting further and further away from God's precepts, God talks to the church, not to the government. He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, if my people will seek my face, I will heal the land. So it's on us. It's on us. Throughout this county, it's on us to demonstrate and to live out this faith. And so I thought appropriately, uh, for those who are able, I want to start by praying on our knees, getting on our knees at all of our campuses, microsites as well. Would you join me, if you're able, just as we would, in a sign of reverence to the Lord, that we would pray according to his scripture. Lord, we know we can bow our knees, but it's the heart that you look at. And so as we are on our knees, let it be representative of truly what's going on in our heart, that we would be humble before you. We pray for healing in our land. We pray for just a, a, a dynamic of your spirit to come upon your people, your church, that we would live out this faith in such a dramatic way that all would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, we also want to take a moment to pray for all our emergency responders, for the police, for the fire uh, fighters, for the Office of Emergency Services, for Red Cross Salvation Army, all these wonderful individuals that serve our community in times of need. We pray your blessing and provision would be upon them as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as you Stand, go ahead, give someone a hug standing next to you and uh, give them a warm Rock Church welcome. Have you turned to the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs, chapter 30. We'll be there in, in just a moment. You know, Robert, Pastor Robert Morris was here a few weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, and uh, he shared he uh, comes from the Gateway Church, just a, such a, a great heart for God's kingdom. And, and he shared with us how, what a joy it is being a grandfather. You know, in fact, he said that grandchildren is God's gift to parents for not killing their kids, you know. Well, my name's Mickey, but my uh, grandchildren call me Bapa. So that's my preferred name, Bapa. Uh, but my wife and I got to babysit our two oldest grandchildren when they were young. My uh, granddaughter, Kennedy, was five. My grandson, Brody, was about uh, three years of age. And we took them to a park near their parents' house, near their home. And there's a play yard and swings and slides and a sand area. And so... We brought all their sand toys, and the kids were digging in the sand and building castles and all of that. Well, all of a sudden, two children kind of made their way over to where my grandchildren were and started playing near them and eventually grabbed their sand toys and were starting to dig a hole. And at that, my grandchildren saw this, and they kind of gently reached over, grabbed their toys, kind of gathered up their stuff, and they kind of moved further away. <laughs> and then started playing again. And 
started digging, and then these two little youngsters came over next to him again, sat down, and kind of reached over and grabbed their sand toys and started digging again. And I could tell my, my grandkids were like a little bothered, and I, I said to my oldest granddaughter, Kennedy, I said, you know, Kennedy, sometimes it's nice to share. When she stopped for a moment and she looked up at me and she said, yes, Papa, sometimes it's nice to share. And sometimes it's not nice to share. This is one of those times. <laughs> and she picked up her things and moved down there again. Well, let me share with our, kind of our theme today as we look at being prepared. For God's people, it is always time to share. It is never not a time not to to be generous with what God has for us. And so part of our discipleship is learning how to really get outside of ourselves to care for others. You know, uh, you realize less than 10% of people in our country are prepared for a disaster. Uh, the Red Cross, the Red, I mean, uh, yes, the American Red Cross in their surveys show that even after a disaster, everyone is like, wow, I got to get ready next time. And then we get busy and we don't get around to it. 82% of the population when surveyed about disaster preparedness said, you know, it's just a lot of work. If you would make it easy for me, I would do something to get prepared. And so at all of our campuses, North County, East County, San Ysidro, here at Point Loma, we're making it easy for you. We've brought all the goods. They're right outside. Some of it's in the lobby. You just have to go out, meet them. You can purchase if you want to do the, you want the preparation done for you. But also the Office of Emergency Services is provided for us these family guides. Now, you can also text DISASTER uh, to uh, 59769, and that will lead you eventually to this link where you can download this PDF. But this tells you step-by-step step what you need to do. Now, you remember back in September 8, 2011, someone was in Arizona, and they flipped the wrong switch. They called it the Great Southwest Blackout. How many remember losing power that day, September 8, 2011? The freeways were immediately jammed. Communication was shut down. Whatever gas you had in your car, that's what you had because gas stations could not pump gas. And so people made their way home. Communication was hindered, and it was kind of cute. Neighbors all came out, candlelight, dinners, you know. It was pretty cute for 12 hours. Now imagine turns into several days, maybe a week. That's what we're referring to. And to realize that, you know, less than 1% of our population, far less than 1%, are emergency responders are going to be expected to care for the 99.99% of us. That's why we need to do some practical things. Now, if you're not taking us serious, I, I, I want to just challenge you. We need to do our part, not just for ourselves, but also considering our neighbors. Do your family, if you have no communication, do you know where to meet? 
Have you made that arrangement? Do you know how to turn the gas off at your house? You know, there's a fire coming your way. Do you know how to turn the water if the water lines break so your home doesn't go through uh, such loss? Eight billion dollars. Uh, two years ago, was spent on home recovery because of disasters in our community, uh, in our in our nation. Uh, on your study guide, I have a statistic there. In 2012, there were 357 natural triggered disasters registered. Now, research shows the estimates are 268 million people are impacted by disaster every year. They become victims of disaster. That's a quarter of a billion people. The magnitude of this is, is, is just horrendous. And in San Diego, not to frighten you, but to warn you and to realize, wake up, we are guaranteed twice a year to have disaster every year. One in the spring, one in the fall, Padre season, Charger season. Every year it comes our way, you know, and so some of the kits we have have Kleenex, you know, to, to wipe the tears, first aid kits, all of this is available, food kits. Uh, they even have kits for your pets uh, to get out of the house early, having food and things available. So after our services today, go outside and visit those, those stations. But First um, Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, makes this statement. You don't need to turn there. Now, in our life groups this week, every week we provide a study guide that goes along with our Sunday messages. So I'm going to go through a, quite a number of scriptures. I'm just going to mention them to you. And in your study guide this week, in your life groups, you can study them in more detail. If you're not in a life group, you can go to the lobby at any of our campuses, get information online. You can click on life groups and get information. But in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, it's referring, it was an accounting of David's army, and it says the sons of Issachar, part of the 12 tribes of Israel, it says, had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And so I want to challenge us as a congregation that we would have understanding of the times that we're living in and that we, like the sons of Issachar, would know what we ought to do. See, 30% of Scripture is prophecy. 30% of Scripture is predicting, foreshadowing what's to come. Over 300, some 350 Scriptures in the Old Testament predict in detail the coming of the Messiah that Jesus Christ fulfilled for His first coming. There's still more prophecy yet to be fulfilled and not kind of generalities, very specific. Where Jesus would be born, how he would enter Jerusalem, the date was prophesied in Daniel, when he would come in, the Messiah, the Prince, into Jerusalem. All of the details are there. And then we look to the future of what awaits the world. And we're no loss or uh, no shortage of scriptures that tell us of the days towards the end of the age what would be taking place. So, for example, the sign of Israel, Ezekiel 37, 38. You realize 
the prophecy that Israel would be scattered around the world and in the last days Israel would come back together as a nation and God's people would return from all over the world to the nation of Israel. That's happened in your lifetime and in the last couple of years for the first time Israel the Israelis returning now is the largest population than any of the other nations. It's the first time that that population is now growing as predicted in Scripture. Uh, do you realize that the Bible prophesies in Revelation chapter 16 that there would be a standing army of 200 million people that would come from the east towards the Middle East at some point in history. At the writing of the New Testament, there were not 200 million people in the east. You realize China announced that they have a standing army of 200 million people prophesied 2,000 years ago? We live in those days. The Bible in Revelation 13 predicts really clearly that there's going to come a time at the end of the age that economies would be tracked through a numbering system that everyone would have a number that they would carry with them. Well, right now we have chips in our cards and everything. There's identity theft, people stealing credit. They're already talking about embedding chips like they do in animals in people that you can now buy and sell just by what's on you and you can't steal it. In fact, your car will be able to turn on just by you being in the car with the chip that you have. You don't need uh, to have a key to it anymore. Never has technology been at the place that it is in our generation. Scripture also teaches that in the end, in Daniel chapter 12, prophesies that at the final days, people will travel to and fro throughout the whole world. Not until this last century has that been possible at the magnitude of where we're going. It says in the very end, knowledge would explode. There'd be a just mass uh, explosion of information. You're living in that age, that era where it's prophesied before the coming of the Messiah, these things would take place, let alone earthquakes, famines, wars and rumors of wars. You know that if you just get the earthquake app and find the scripture says that towards the end it will be like birth pains coming upon a woman that gets stronger, more intense, closer together. The earthquakes are now getting closer together and higher in intensity. In fact, I was at a meeting with fire chiefs in our county when the China earthquake, it was 7.9 or 8.0, and I had asked uh, one of the chiefs, I said, what would happen if an 8.0 earthquake struck Southern California? And they said, we do not know. Our building codes and our rescue scenarios only go to 6.5. We have no idea of how devastating this would be in, in our county. Now, if you're sitting here or watching online, you're joining us at one of our, our campuses and you're maybe this is bothering, this is scary, this is frightening. Please know God's wrath does not come upon his children. He hasn't appointed us for wrath, for God's family. God loves us. In fact, he says, don't fear, little children. Uh, we have prayer meetings at all of our campuses during the week. On Wednesday morning here at 7 a.m., we have a prayer time. And we looked at the verse, Isaiah 41, 
verse 10 and 13 where it says God promises I will uphold you by my righteous right hand fear not and then he says my hand stands the heavens Isaiah 48 13 God cares for us first Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says um, you know not to have a spirit of fear but a power love and a sound mind God's promises are real, but there are practical things we need to do. Now, I know Jesus is coming back soon, and the older I get, it's getting sooner and sooner as the older I get. For young people, it may not be as soon as for me, but there is a time where everything comes to a culmination at the end of a God-rejecting world where judgment does come. And so I want to encourage you because in all that we're talking about, if Jesus is coming back tomorrow, we need to be telling people about Jesus Christ and demonstrating his life through how we love one another. The great commission and the great commandment. Love and proclaim Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ isn't coming back for a thousand years, we need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and we need to demonstrate his life in love. It's the same message from the Great Commission to the Great Commandment. Whether he's coming back today or a thousand years, we have that responsibility. Now I want to give you just three just basic encouragements in your preparation starting in Proverbs chapter 30. Prepare practically prepare practically Proverbs chapter 30 in verse 24 it says there are four things which are little on the earth but they are exceedingly wise the ants are a people not strong yet they prepare their food in the summer the rock badgers are a feeble folk yet they make their homes in crags the locusts have no king, yet they advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. Prepare practically. Ants, prepare for the future. In fact, Jim Collins uh, is an author. He wrote from uh, Good to Great, business book. He wrote another book. It's entitled uh, Great by Choice. And they notice, and looking at how do companies survive during dramatic downturns in the economy and devastating disasters, over 40% of businesses fail in a community that's impacted by disaster. They're not prepared. Out of over 20,000 businesses studied, they found that seven rose to the top, and these companies did not have really insight in how to predict the economic future. But what they did as part of their strategy was they had margin and that they prepared for the downturns. Ants even do this. Now, the poetry of, of Proverbs, uh, those four stanzas, is referred to as a quatrain. And it's a, a, a challenge, it's an encouragement for the wisdom of God's creation, they're taking care of themselves. They're actually thinking towards the future and preparing how much more should we. Now, let me ask you the question. 
Where were you earlier this year, about 9 in the morning, on February 25th? Where were you February 25th this year, about 9 in the morning? How many remember where you were that morning? A couple of you. What was the weather like that day? I was actually a little drizzly. That's my birthday. I was surprised. Don't remember my birthday. Well, okay, let me give you a harder question. We're going to go back in time. How many of you could remember where you were uh, September 11, 2001? By a show of hands, about 9 in the morning, wherever you were. How many remember that day? Almost all of you. How many of you remember the weather that day, that morning? You remember? You see, that emotional engagement of such a horrific event creates memory. It's, it's actually norepinephrine in the brain creates synapse. Th those memories you store as potential warnings against other experiences. And when trauma comes to us and as a nation and as people, people tend to either... <laughs> It brings out the best of people, but sometimes, sadly, it brings out the worst of people. And yet there's something that's referred to as post-traumatic growth. You've probably heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. That's where this is so devastating. The triggers I have from that experience, you know, they don't go away. After a month and two months, I'm still having flashbacks, nightmares, and those things. 7 to 35% of people from significant trauma may have PTSD. But most people, as a result of a crisis, experience what's called post-traumatic growth. I work and do interventions with police and fire, and they, they see some horrific things. They're, you know, especially events that happen to children, and it just takes them to the core, the emotional engagement. They're very professional. They respond. They take care of the, the emergency. And everything's good. They transport the patients. But then we get back, when they get back to the station or back to the engine or to their police car, the emotions come in. They're just dealing with all the emotions that are there. And so in some of the interventions I've done with helicopter crashes and shootings and plane crashes, all these things, you know, it takes people to the core of their relationships or their perspective of what's important in life. And I'll often ask at the end of an inter intervention or time with them, uh, what are some lessons learned? And I mean, nearly every time, police officer, firefighter, he or she, they'll, they'll say, man, when I got home, uh, I hugged my spouse, I kissed all my kids, we sat around the table and I just told them I loved them because it aligns our life to what matters. You know, we can get just so busy and distracted and all the important things of life, the, kind of the tyranny of the urgent. We just, the important things get pushed aside and we're busy. And we're not attending to the essentials, what's important, until sometimes a crisis comes. I, I want to encourage you every day to be prepared, not only practically, but also spiritually. And, and so the ants do it. How much more should we as, as human beings take to heart? Now, in your study guide there, we have the text information. I do encourage you to text that. But also, we, we have what's called a chaplain training. Out um, at, at a table in your lobby at each of the campuses, we have people there. We have actually trainings each quarter here on crisis intervention and preparing people to serve as a chaplain 
in their community or where you work or out in the community with another agency. Um, for example, my wife and I, we met with a neighbor and we've had some robberies, thefts, a car was stolen from our next door neighbor and it's happening around our neighborhood. So my neighbor and I, we got together and let's do a thing and revive the neighborhood watch. We'll get a police officer here and, and then I've got a bunch of these disaster preparedness flyers from the Office of Emergency Services. We're going to have a dessert and pass out flyers to all of our neighbors to come on a Saturday evening and just let's form together. And I'm going to let them know that I'm our community chaplain. Do you know we have chaplains that are serving like this in the community throughout San Diego? We have a chaplain for Little Italy. Actually, we have two chaplains that serve Little Italy. Now, they like the pasta, they, they like the food and all of that, but they're building relationships, letting them know if there's ever a need, I'm here for you. We actually have chaplains that serve in a lot of different businesses, do you know, and places of entertainment. We actually have a chaplain, get this, who serves the Women's Roller Derby League. You know that? And she's there for the ladies when they're going through hardship. She's a chaplain. We have a chaplain for pet hospice when people are putting their animals down to be there to comfort families. We have chaplains at hospitals. We have chaplains out in the community serving with different crisis interventions, chaplain with fire and police. Uh, I just want to encourage you, consider being a public witness of your faith to care for people in times of need and where you work. When someone's sick, organize the meals. If someone's in the hospital, organize visitation to care for them. That's what God's people do. And so we have that information for you. There's some trainings coming up. But turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Prepare purposefully. Prepare practically. Now, purposely. What is God's purpose in my life? Well, First Peter chapter 3, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, it says, Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. The key verse here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You know, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, I, I saw this article about Ed Schrei uh, Schreiber. Get this. He's in Nashville, Tennessee, 96 years of age. He began seminary for ministry preparation when he was 92. 92 years of age. And he says this, I heard God speak to me and I believe I'm being called to be a more credible witness for Jesus Christ. Now he doesn't think of himself as being old at 96. He said, I'm chronologically challenged. 
He says, except for mild arthritis, I feel like a 60-year-old. <laughs> you know, just that perspective of life. Of, Lord, you're calling me. You're, you're never too old to discover your purpose nor are you ever too young to discover your purpose. He said, I'm having fun living. I keep a good sense of humor and common sense. I exercise, study, and I know my purpose. I want to encourage you here at the Rock Church, all the resources that are available to you. I've mentioned life groups. I want to encourage you to get connected in community here. Just go to the lobby or online. We're here to serve you that you would be part of a growing community of people that care about each other. We also have what's called Impact 195. It's our heart to reach 195 nations in the world. You set aside a year of investment in your growth, discipleship, short-term missions, uh, just to take a year to really lay a foundation. It's kind of like our own little mini seminary. Don't wait till you're 96. That's my encouragement. Don't wait till the end of your life to do what you know God is calling you to do now. You know, my uh, father-in-law and his, his oldest son, my uh, father-in-law, always a hard worker, businessman, just always providing for his family, so busy about those things, but he never really had the time for his family. And because of that, some of the conflict that can sometimes happen between father and son, and kind of the distinct, kind of a distance of an absent father, never was at his games and all of this and all of those struggle. And as uh, my brother-in-law was growing up, just always wanting his dad's approval, got his bachelor's degree. Well, when are you going to get your master's? And got his master's degree. You ought to get your PhD. And just never feeling good enough, never feeling accepted, not having dad there. Well, my brother-in-law gone through treatment with throat cancer. Long, hard trail. He's in remission now, but through the season when he was going through the treatments and just just horrific what he, what he was enduring, wanted to give up at one point and just, God just was working deep in his heart. My wife and I were visiting him and he told us his story. He says, you know, I, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision. He said, but I, I saw dad like on a waterside going in front of me and he had pure joy coming out of his life just his face and he looked at me eye to eye and I saw this joy I've never seen in my dad before and then it was as if I could look into his soul he said and my brother-in-law just starts to weep my wife and I crying he said I felt pure love from my dad for the first time in my life. And God enabled me to see my father as he was meant to be. And as he was describing that experience, I was like, Lord, that's how we should always see each other. You know, we bump into each other, we can complain, we can hurt one another, and we're, we're looking at a work in progress. But the Bible says God sees the complete work the finished work in Christ, our identity in Christ. That's been my prayer. Lord, I want to see people as you see them. We have here at the Rock Church so many opportunities, our life growth tracks, for example, um, the classes to help you invest, to become who you were meant to be. So prepare practically, prepare purposefully, and then finally prepare prophetically. 
prepare prophetically in the sense God knows the future. In fact, I want you to prepare for the day you're going to see God face to face. Amos chapter 4, verse 12. Frightening verse for the nation of Israel. But not even as frightening as Matthew 7. Jesus reveals that there are going to be people, religious people, church-going people, that are going to someday stand before God thinking they were accepted on their goodness, on their religion, and God says to them, I never knew you. Prepare prophetically. We see in Amos chapter 4, the nation of Israel had just followed their own ways. And, and let me explain. Sometimes people have the view, God is an angry judge. He's mad at me. I got to do better, try harder, be good, and then God will accept me. Most religions of the world teach you got to do these certain things, then you're good enough, and then you're accepted by God by your goodness. Of all the religions of the world, Christianity alone separates out and says there's none good. None are accepted by our merit or goodness. It's only by God's grace. Only by grace. By the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Well, Israel had their religion. And God says, if, if you abide in my precepts, I will bless you. Your families will be blessed. Your relationships. There's precepts all through Scripture. My word works, God says. And it does work. His promises are sure. The people that, you know, I want to do it my way. We kind of step out from God's way. We become the center of our life, making our choices. And the consequence of that, all of a sudden hardship, relationships, struggle, and all of this. And what... I can't even fathom as so many people walk away from God's principles and when their life just starts to crumble, then they shake their fist at God saying, why are you doing this to me? Why aren't you doing things the right for me? And God says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I want to give you a future and a hope. As God desires that we walk within the domain of where his blessing is. Well, Israel, they wandered, they wandered, following all the nations and the people around them, doing what was culturally relevant. And God, the result of that was famine. And in famine, he says, yet you didn't return to me. And then their relationships were broken. And he said, yet you didn't return to me. The economy collapsed. There was... Um, drought, he says, yet you did not return to me. Five times, he says, yet you didn't return to me. And then he says, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. All of us should be mindful of that day because Scripture promises every single one of us are going to one day stand before God face to face to give an account. And it's not your goodness that matters to him. It's your receiving of his grace. I may have shared this before, but I was on a ride-along with the fire department. We got a medical aid call. It was a heart attack. We show up at a house. It was southeast San Diego. And it's house behind a house. We walk in with the paramedics. 
gentleman is sitting on the couch. He's wearing jeans, a bit overweight, no t-shirt, uh, just bare chest, barefoot. And firefighters start to ask a series of questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being just unbearable pain, how much pain are you feeling? He said, I, I, it's like an 8. I feel like a car is on my chest, uh, you know, and pain shooting down my arm. They said, are... Do you have a family with any heart disease? He said, yes, my dad died of a heart attack at, eight, at age 48. They said, how old are you? He said, 47. Then they asked, are you on any medication? He said, yeah, I have medication for my heart. When did you last take it? Well, it's been over a week. My prescription ran out. I just haven't gotten around to filling it out. They said, what were you kind of, what activities were you doing last night? You know, and there's all the ashtrays, everything. Wow, we partied pretty hard last night. They said, do you exercise? Literally, he said, look at me. No, I don't. But what grabbed my heart, it's kind of like how to die young. Check, 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 check. All the warning signs were there. Just ignoring it. But what broke my heart is when they're putting him on the gurney, transporting, getting ready to transport him to the hospital. He grabs a hold of the paramedic with eyes as big as saucers saying, don't let me die. Don't let me die. Why is it that we live apart from life? It was Moses. He challenged the nation, nation of Israel in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And you get the sense of emotion. He says, choose life. Choose life that you and your family would live. I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid. There is no fear. God tells us, I've got you. But I do want to encourage you. Get in line with God and be prepared to meet Him. Prepare practically. Prepare purposely prepare prophetically that day will come and I, I don't want to have you respond out of emotion and all of this the Holy Spirit is here the Holy Spirit is speaking to a number of you here who have been living outside of God's plan for your life you're not prepared and yet God so gently he just says come to me I'm going to pray I'm going to ask you to pray. I want you to be honest with God. doesn't do anything for me. And this isn't before people. Though he does say, if you'll confess me before man, Jesus says, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. If you deny me before people, I never knew you. You know, I, I have a relationship with the barista at Starbucks. She knows what I drink. She knows my name. Because I'm there 10 times a day. Just kidding. Um, you know, Christianity is not a religion, but what? It's a relationship, but more than that, it's an intimate relationship. God wants more than an acquaintance. He wants the intimacy. There's an old saying, little girls grow up to marry men just like their daddies. That's why so many moms cry at weddings. <laughs> that may be true. <laughs> but it, it's that 
intimacy. The Bible talks of our faith like marriage, that we would be married to him. An intimacy and oneness. That's what I want for you. And as a, a shepherd, as one of the many shepherds, you, our hearts break for you when you're outside of the bounds of God's blessings. And our role as shepherds is to bring you back to that place where you are meant to be. Would you bow your hearts, bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I know your love is here. All of our campuses are microsites. Your love is so profound. And you're knocking on the door of people's hearts even right now. Maybe their heart's beating and they're just not sure. And if that's you, I just want you to let go. Forget all the excuses, all the criticisms, all the arguments. The Bible says to become like a little child. Just let God love upon you as he's wooing you, maybe back to him once again, or maybe for the very first time. And so if that's you, I, I'm just going to ask you to pray a prayer, but you need to really be honest with God as you're preparing to meet him. In the quietness of your heart, privacy of your heart, just say to him, Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. And the best way that I know how, I, I just want to turn from my ways. And I want your ways. I pray you take the wicked heart out of me and give me your heart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that God Almighty, that you will come into my life, that you'll forgive me of my sins, and that your spirit cause me to be new in you. I'm sorry. And if that's your prayer, no matter where you are, I'm going to ask you to be honest with God. And at the Rock Church, we want to give you an opportunity to make it public before man, before God. Not a religion. It's not even a relationship in a sense, but it's an intimacy, a love for God. And so if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you not to hold back Don't be concerned about the people around you. It's you and God. Because someday you're going to stand before him. And this decision today could set you on a course for eternity of God's goodness. And so if you prayed that prayer, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Stand to the feet boldly and say, Lord, I belong to you. Take my life. Forgive me. So if that was your prayer on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand. One, two, three. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Stay standing. God bless you. The balcony, stay standing. God bless you. We want to honor you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You know, I'm going to encourage you. Don't hold back. God bless you. There's a number of you. And some of you are still struggling. Your pride is holding you back. Don't let your pride stop you this moment because the Bible says angels in heaven rejoice over just one person that turns their heart back to God because they see things as they really are. Right now, there's a party going on in heaven and we want to celebrate with you. And I, I want to encourage you to take that bold step. Now, 
In a moment, here's what I want you to do, because we want to celebrate with you, but we also want to encourage you in your first steps and next steps. Encourage. We don't want anything from you. We want for you. God is doing the work. He brought you here. He's speaking to you. And we want to rejoice and come alongside you to encourage you to really get deep roots in the things of God for you. So before we rush out to the next thing, I want to ask all of you that stood and are standing, come out of the aisles, and if you're up in the top, the ushers will lead you. I want you to come to the altar. We call this the altar, where you make that public stand that you're giving your life to Jesus Christ. And we're going to rejoice with the angels of heaven for you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on down. God bless you. Come on up here. Come on up. God bless you. What a blessing. You know, here at the Rock Church, almost all of us here have made this step, a commitment, just like you. And this is your family, as dysfunctional as we are. Families have issues, but we're here for you. We want to love you and encourage your growth. We want to give you a Bible. We want to encourage you to your next step, you know, get involved. Today, we actually have the Life Growth Track. As yet, you have not decided to be a member here at the Rock Church. At 2 o'clock in the cafe, go sign up. It's going to lay a foundation in your life. And we want to encourage you to get part of a, a community of faith. So let me pray for you, and then we'll receive our tithes and offerings afterwards. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you uh, for the precious men and women that are here today making this stand that they want to surrender their life to you. I pray you honor their prayer, their commitment, and that we as a church would love them into their growth and transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. Just turn to your right over here and uh, just follow them. They, they have some people here to help serve you. God bless you. God bless you.